Welcome to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Join us for an in-depth look at Iowa agriculture. Here's your host, Dustin Hoffman. And welcome once again to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. I'm Dustin Hoffman. Mark Magnuson, Russ Parker, and Riley Smith all coming up later on in the program here on this last program for January. Let's go ahead and run down some of the stories that we watched making headlines here earlier this week. Well, as we've turned the calendar into 2024, there are two very significant pieces of legislation that we are watching in Congress that have significant impact on the day-to-day lives of Americans. This includes the budget and spending bills and the farm bill. Of course, the farm bill is already being extended from last year's farm bill, which is based on five-year-old data, to keep us going for at least another year. However, with the August recess coming up and the campaigns coming later in the summer, we're already effectively looking at only about six months left to get the farm bill done. So what are its progress perspectives? Well, Iowa Senator Joni Ernst talks about it, and she's not too optimistic at this point. This is very frustrating right now. Now, we do have a great participation from both sides of the aisle. I do have to start by saying that um, we have come up with a number of ideas for the farm bill, things we think would be beneficial. But unfortunately, what we see right now is a stalemate. Uh, The overall cost of the farm bill has skyrocketed to $1.5 trillion over the next 10 years. And uh, folks, that is not going into farm programs. That has gone to the nutrition title of the bill. Uh, We have this ballooning nutrition title that our our friends across the aisle and Chairwoman Stabenow do not want to rein in. Um, And those of us on the other side of the aisle that come from farm country, we are very interested in making sure that we have long lasting, strong programs to benefit our farmers in food production, in fuel production, um, all of that. It is about our livelihoods. Uh, We need more farm in the farm bill. And the chairwoman is really refusing at this point to reallocate any of the IRA dollars that go into the conservation title, you know, reallocate some of those dollars, find additional pay-fors, bring the cost of the the farm bill down, um, and rein in some of this absolutely unsustainable uh, way that we are supporting the nutrition programs. Um, We know that there are families that need support, and we are happy to uh, support those in need. But there are many, many, many um, ways that we can find a sustainable path forward in the nutrition title. And yet Debbie Stabenow refuses to consider any of those uh, proposals. So right now we are at a stalemate. Um, Again, we are uh, accountable to our constituencies. My constituencies are really hardworking uh, farmers uh, across the great state of Iowa. Um, It is also families in need, and we will make sure they get what they need. But we also need to do it uh, where we are accountable to all taxpayers. Elsewhere in Iowa Ag News, with the IPPA's Pork Congress going on here this week in Des Moines, they kicked things off with their annual taste event in which nine chefs competed having to cook pork loin as part of their recipe. Josh Wilkins of Chef de Cuisine with Iowa State Dining Services claimed the crown of chef par excellence with his winning dish of Italian-style pork brajol. 
Yeah, so Brajol, it's, um, well, pork loin is super versatile uh, with Brajol. Um, it kind of takes a little bit more of a technique-driven and skill-driven. You, know, you have to pound it out super thin, stuff it, roll it, braise it in tomato sauce. So that was kind of my angle, if you will, you know, was to uh, kind of show, show a little bit of technique and skill. Wilkins Dish featured pork Brajol, the rustic marinara sauce, creamy Parmesan polenta, and basil pisto. Wilkins was selected as the winner by a panel of three judges and claimed the title of the People's Choice winner as well, which was selected by the public in attendance at the event. Wilkins says that by opting for a unique way to prepare the pork loin, it may have given him an edge. Yeah, you know, everyone, everyone loves Italian food. This is Italian soul food, super, you know, sticks, sticks to your heart, sticks to your soul. I knew if I was able to execute it, like people would enjoy it. Wilkins earned a plaque for each award and a total of $1,250 in prize money. He says that this dish was sourced from pork raised in Lamar's. I was super happy I got to partner with Beeler's Pure Pork. Iowa Pork Producer, uh, the fantastic product, and so I was really happy to, to have that product available to, be available to me. Tanner Killinger of the Des Moines Embassy Club earned second place with his five-spice brined pork loin sous vide with whipped butternut squash and Parmesan Reggiano and pistachio tulle. And finally, Unverth Manufacturing has added a 5,000-square-foot facility to complete with major renovations at the top-of-the-line upgrades that's planned in Shell Rock. Communications Manager Jerry Eklund said this addition will help streamline the production process. Uh, what we've done is to help streamline a lot of the manufacturing area, we've consolidated a lot of our parts storage into the new addition uh, for more streamlined feeding of the production line up as it goes down the line and actually comes off the line. So what we've done is made more efficient use of the space we currently have for production. This is the 13th project that the facility has had since Unverfirth bought the Bart Grain Handling in 1988. There was already high demand for Brent Grain Carts. Eklund said they wanted to focus on expanding capacity. Eklund adds that with this expansion, Unverfirth is looking to hire 55 more employees to support the increased demand and diversification of the product lines at the Shell Rock plant. The facility will also help in the production of several other product lines that Unverfirth has acquired over the years. You can find more information and apply it visiting unverfirth.com forward slash careers. We have the story and more online at iowaagnet.com. That's it for me, Russ Parker, and next with his faith-based food for thought. Have you ever watched a TV show called Antiques Roadshow? Once in a while I come across it flipping through channels and watch an appraiser offer an opinion and value to someone's prized possession or thought to be junk. I'll bet there's a lot of editing to find those articles that keep us glued to our seats to hear what their value is. Recently, my family's been involved in sorting out some of my mother's stuff. Uh, she passed away recently, and her house was filled with things she collected over the years, including antique furniture, oriental rugs, and collections of other things like old china and crystal and spoons and candlesticks. And while I've always enjoyed going to my mom's house and always admired her things, it's been hard incorporating her collections with what we already have in our house. And there's this push-pull between not wanting to let go and not wanting any more. And of course, there's that fear that something found at Goodwill will wind up on the antique roadshow, worth thousands of dollars, and recently it was in my mom's cupboard. I'm not sure, correct me if I'm wrong, 
But I have a sense that part of the human condition is to have more. And somehow if we have more, we are worth more. It's how the world measures things. And while the adage, you can't take it with you, some still have an idea that digging a bigger, deeper hole, that the house, the car, the boats, and the bank accounts can all go in there with the casket. I'm pretty sure all will rust, rot, disintegrate, and return to the elements that they started out with. So having possessions that we treasure, and even want to pass on to the next generation, is that a complete waste of time, energy, and investment? Well, that might be good and noble goal. My gut tells me that at the end of the day, all will be for naught. But there could be some room for discussion. So I'm asking myself, what is it that I possess? in the long term that has eternal value and as I get older I'm more and more convinced it's my relationship with Jesus Christ Jesus Christ owns my soul and its value to him is knowing that I am his prized possession in Matthew we read for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul food for thought I hope this is Russ Parker have a blessed day Well, thanks, Russ, and that's going to do it for segment one here on Weekend Ag Matters on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Mark Magnuson and Riley Smith will be back here to finish up the show coming up as Mark had a chance to talk with the folks at the Iowa Pork Congress, and we'll have much more with him coming up right after this on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. This is Weekend Ag Matters. A new year brings new opportunities for Iowa soybean farmers. From biofuels and policy to a changing market landscape, many factors impact the value of Iowa soybean crop. Learn about these trends and more on January 30th by attending Farm Forward, powered by the Iowa Soybean Association. Register today at iasoybeans.com and position your farm for success in 2024 and beyond. The Iowa Soybean Association, driven to deliver for Iowa's 40,000 soybean farmers. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here is Mark Magnuson. Mark Magnuson with the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network, and I'm joined today by Dusty Odekoven with the National Pork Board. Dusty, remind me please your job title within the National Pork Board. Yeah, thanks Mark. Uh, I serve as the Chief Veterinarian for the National Pork Board. So you're obviously well dialed into all of the diseases that are very prevalent right now throughout the world affecting the swine industry, and you just came back from a big conference. Could you tell us about it, please? Yeah, in uh, December, I attended a ASF, uh, excuse me, I think a global consortium on ASF, and it was hosted by uh, the Food and Ag Organization of the United Nations, as well as the uh, World Organization for Animal Health, formerly known as OIE. And that conference then was kind of to bring everyone together just worldwide to see what everyone's learned and strategies they've implemented. Is that kind of the overall case? Yeah, that's right. So um, as as the name implies, a global consortium brought together experts from industry and government from around, from really around the world. Uh, You know, there there are active cases in over 50 countries right now. And so uh, we've really seen ASF spread. since 2007, but at an accelerated rate since 2018. 
and uh, many countries throughout Europe, Asia, Africa, and of course, uh, more recently here in the Americas in the Dominican Republic and Haiti. So the idea was to bring together everyone and uh, talk about you know, what, what's the latest in epidemiology, what are we learning, um, uh, what's the latest in diagnostics and surveillance, uh, how, how are countries uh, who have an issue with ASF in their wild boar population dealing with that aspect of it, um, what were the success stories and where are, the, uh, where are we seeing uh, really just no progress in, in controlling the disease. And then, you know, another um, uh, highlight was the discussion on vaccine development, and that was uh, interesting as well. And it does seem like we have a story that will trickle out every couple of months about a vaccine. And could you tell us right now where we are on the timeline for the vaccine potentially as, as we do keep getting that exciting information that it is headed our way? Yeah, well, I would say um, around the world there are there have been many attempts to um, create a vaccine. And, and some of the discussion at this uh, at this global consortium was around, you know, maybe a call for um, uh, reducing the amount of, of live vaccine that's being used in some of these countries, where uh, those you know the, the use of those vaccines are resulting in uh, new strains of the virus that are uh, then difficult to detect and then actually um, serve to further spread the spread the disease rather than to halt it. So, uh, I would say the U.S. is is leading the effort in vaccine development. Uh, our scientists at uh, Plum Island Animal Disease Center. Uh, both within uh, USDA's uh, Ag Research Service and, and partners that they work with uh, have have created some novel vaccines, and then and the technology there is is on par with other vaccine uh, um, uh, innovations that have occurred here recently. Um, some of those vaccine technologies have been licensed to other countries, such as in Vietnam, where there are ongoing trials to uh, demonstrate the safety, efficacy, and use of that, and so. Uh, we're still waiting for additional information to come back and, and really inform uh, the science on that and, and show that it's safe and can be used effectively. Uh, beyond that, um, the, the timeline as for when we might have an approved vaccine here in the U.S. is still a little unclear. Have we learned enough from ASF to be able to apply it to other diseases that threaten us, uh, ways to mitigate the disease? Have we learned from this disease with all the preparedness steps that we've taken and things like you've gone to the conference to learn about this disease kind of from a worldwide perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and every every disease is a little bit different. Uh, African swine fever virus, the, as, as far as the virus goes, is in, a, in a, a family all of its own. So it's quite different from a coronavirus like porcine epidemic diarrhea virus or from the PERS virus or even from influenza viruses, which we deal with in, in uh in swine, but also in other species, and in each of each of those viruses acts and behaves a little bit differently. Um, and there are things that we can apply from uh, from other diseases, such as foot and mouth disease control, uh, to our situation with ASF. But there's some things that are that are different there too. And so that, that was part of this uh, consortium is to bring folks together and learn about you know how what have we learned. One one of the things unique to this virus is uh, in in many parts of Europe and in, uh, in other parts of the globe is when, when it gets into wild, the wild pig population, and, and throughout Europe they call it the wild boar, and they are, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, a cultural, uh, you know, a culturally important animal there. The wild boar is somewhat like our white-tailed deer here. You know, there's a hunting culture around it, and uh, people like to see the wild boar. But when ASF infects the wild boar population, it's really difficult to get to get that cat back in the bag and to to eliminate the virus from that that wild boar population. So then, what you have is an, an ongoing source of infection, 
and where there's interaction between wild boar and domestic pigs, that's where infection can occur. Also, there's uh, the human factor of uh, hu humans going out and hunting these wild boar and then uh, coming into contact with contaminated uh, uh, tissues and fluids and then dragging that to a new area infecting new populations of wild boar. So that, that control of the spread through both people and wild boar seems to be one of the keys here that, that is a little bit unique uh, when we look at other uh, diseases that we, that we attempt to control. And then finally, Dusty, just thinking about the United States and foreign animal disease preparedness, I know we've been working very very diligently. Are we staying, you know, with that same energy? Has it subsided at all? Are we still, you know, taking this disease as seriously as we need to? Yeah, that's a great question. So are, are we still working towards preparedness and, and where are we at in that effort? Um, I, I would say certainly we, we continue as an industry, the pork industry continues to make great strides towards being better prepared for foreign animal disease. Uh, we know some of the top things we can do are improve our biosecurity on farm. Uh, that's something that the industry groups, including Pork Board and, and National Pork Producers Council and, and other partners, including uh, uh, SHIC and the U.S. Swine Health Improvement Plan and our, our partners at the American Association of Swine Veterinarians have collaboratively worked together to provide information for producers to be better prepared and, and to improve their biosecurity. Some of the resources that people can find would be uh, at uh, porkcheckoff.org, but also securepork.org. That's where we have the secure pork supply plans. Uh, that can help producers prepare for um, uh, to have better biosecurity plans. We also know that traceability is key. We had a, a presentation or a panel about that here at the uh, Iowa Pork Congress here yesterday about the status of uh, ongoing review of the uh, traceability standards. Uh, but, but really it's important for everyone to have uh, traceability documentation so that they can share that in the event of a foreign animal disease. The Pork Checkoff has created a, a tool for that, AgView, and you can go to agview.com and, and create an account at no additional charge uh, to be able to put your, your traceability data in there. And then, of course, we've made some good strides with our laboratory partners in increasing laboratory capacity and uh, developing plans to be able to collect samples that are needed. So uh, I think we're making great strides. There's always more work to, done, to do, excuse me, and, uh, and, and it's never one of those issues. You never stick a flag in it and say, well, we're prepared, you know. Um, I do detect occasionally a little bit of uh, uh, FAD preparedness fatigue, and I think uh, we've certainly seen that uh, in the U.S. and with our producers here, but uh, we do have to remain vigilant. We do have to remain alert to this, and, and, and we'll, keep, we'll keep the ball rolling. Dusty, is there anything else you'd like to let our viewers, listeners in Iowa know about when it comes to what the National Pork Board is doing, what you're doing in your role, and just trying to stay ahead of everything that, you know, we have to be thinking about at all times? Well, um, I suppose there are a number of things we haven't talked about here, some demonstrations and, and exercises that we're doing with states to uh, ensure that state animal health agencies and the uh, state, uh, state pork associations are exercising their plans and that they're uh, ensuring that they, they have the plans and the resources, the, the equipment that they need to respond to foreign animal disease, the training that they need to go along with that. So uh, we've done a lot of work in that area and uh, uh, would certainly like to highlight some of that work done by my colleagues at the Pork Board and, and, and other partners that we have. Um, but uh, I, I think the, you know, I guess if I could leave everybody a, a, a to-do, it, it would be go to the porkcheckoff.org page, find our foreign animal disease preparedness checklist there, and uh, get started and make sure that uh, your farm is prepared for foreign animal disease. Dusty Otokoven with the National Pork Board, our guest here today. Dusty, thanks so much for the time. Appreciate it as always. Very interesting conversation. Have a great rest of the show. Yeah, thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. 
Thank you to Dusty Odokoven, the chief veterinarian with the National Pork Board, for joining us from the Iowa Pork Producers Association Pork Congress this week in Des Moines. That's going to do it for segment number two. Coming up in segment number three, Riley Smith will wrap up this week's episode of Weekend Ag Matters here on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Welcome to January and the beginning of the new year. While we don't know for sure what 2024 will bring, we always need to do our best to be prepared. The same holds true when you're traveling in winter conditions. Make sure you're always aware of the weather forecast as winter weather can change in the blink of an eye and vary greatly between regions. And be certain of what conditions you may face throughout your route. You can always check conditions across the state by calling 511 on your phone or downloading the 511 app. This message on winter driving safety is from your friends at the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's rank all the people that have already come on board with the Agoro uh, carbon side and then everything they're doing with the Grace Master side too that we're trying to build community farms and ranches, things like that. It's, it's a beautiful time to get into the carbon deal. Um, there, you know, it's, it's not snake oil. It's a real thing. Just because you can't see or touch it doesn't mean that there's not value to it. And it's really, you know, kind of what's coming down the line. And let's run through again uh, how that pasture program works uh, for, for specifically the carbon side of things. Because obviously a lot of people when we're talking about carbon markets, we're thinking of row crop and what you can do with tillage and all those different methods. But, uh, you know, kind of on, it's on the newer side of the carbon market is that pasture program and kind of how livestock producers can take advantage of that as well. So run us through uh, just how that works and uh, kind of, you know, we, we had talked before about the ease of access and how easy it is for uh, producers to take advantage of this. It really is easy. I mean, there's there's three things on the pasture rangeland side that, you know, that are, are very obtainable, uh, and they're going to add profitability with the carbon side, and even without the carbon side, it's going to be the step in the right direction for soil health. So rotational grazing, you know, more animals, short amount of time moving off, uh, you know, really get that animal impact, uh, that the uh, distribution that manure and urine and hoof action that that really makes a difference it's really one of the biggest keys to soil health and and a lot of people are getting to see like agoro has there's really big value in that it's it's a nice clean carbon source it's been there forever we're making it better Uh, secondly they can add some diversity to that grass Uh, we add a lot of clovers things like that Um, and then lastly they can add some type of nutrient form you know if it's if it's doable with their topography and really kind of kick start that uh, that grass in a little different way we use a lot of hydrolyzed fish things like that in an all-natural way we want to stimulate that soil all that equates to sequestering more carbon which means more money for the people that are signing up and you know especially on that rotational grazing side of things you know, a, a big thing that is talked about a lot in carbon markets is rewarding farmers for practices that they're already doing. Mm-hmm. And we do have a lot of farmers who are you know, working on the rotational grazing, but even if they aren't, um, one of the things with rotational grazing is it's just a little bit more management for a lot more return on it. So it, it's kind of one of those things, if you can encourage people to make just those slight changes to their practices, you know, aside from the you know financial side of things, soil health-wise, like you just said, it goes a long ways. Right. So, you know, these guys, if they've got a pasture cut in half, you know, they're already starting it. But let's think deeper. Um, let's start, you know, really cutting that into different 
paddocks, let's let's tie that intentional intensive grazing into it. And every time we're moving them, we're making more money. We're building better grass behind us. We're building more carbon. And it's it's really something that gets kind of like in your blood once you start doing it. You see behind you the progress you're making. And then at the end of the day with the Agoro Carbon Program, you're going to see actual dollars coming in paid on that increase from that base sample to how that goes through years 5 and 10. So the harder you work, the more things you do, uh, the more carbon you're going to sequester, the more money you're going to get paid. Right, and then just looking at the uh, program in general, uh, you know, for producers who would want to get involved and, and learn more from Graze Master and Agoro, you know, where where should they start with that? I mean, who do they who do they need to talk to? And then kind of just looking ahead at the process of getting started into that, how do they start it? Sure. Well, they can go to grazemastergroup.com. Uh, our strategic account manager for Agoro is on there. They can click it. They can get the ball rolling. Clay Creighton is his name. He's here in Iowa, but he covers much of the U.S., go to that website, get the ball rolling, um, and there's a lot of other resources on there too that will actually help build more carbon um, for that program to make more money. And Dell, is there anything else, especially on the uh, Graze Master side of things, that our listeners should know about today, especially when it comes to the uh, grazing programs? Well, we're doing another big event in Seward, Nebraska, July 24th and 25th, where we get a ton of people there, a lot of different uh, expertise in a lot of different areas, grazing, financial stuff, um, you name it, from soil testing to, you know, the carbon sequestration. There's just a a whole different group of people that um, we kind of bring together in a a little different way than than a lot of these events because we're, we're whole operation, we're whole farm. We want to be profitable from front to back. And we want it to be better for everyone. That's why the Agoro uh, program just fits so well with us. Dell, thanks for taking the time to visit with us today. And uh, good, look, uh, good luck as you uh, continue with this uh, grazing program. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. That again was Dell Fike of Graze Master talking on their partnership with Agoro Carbon. And that's it for today's episode of Weekend Ag Matters. Thanks again for tuning in. You can listen to this episode and more by going to the podcast tab on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network website at iowaagnet.com. For Russ Parker, Mark Magnuson, and Dustin Huffman, I'm Riley Smith, wishing you a great rest of your weekend. Join us again next week for more Weekend Ag Matters.